0: Well, my name is Andrew. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm just glad you're here with us. Uh, if you're new, if you've been here for a long time, I'm glad you're here too. Uh, we are a people who simply want to know Jesus, want to follow him, and want to serve him with our lives. We, uh, we are a place, if you came in here, uh, there's a sign that says where faith and fellowship create a family. And we want to be that, uh, recognizing that, um, you know, families in this world are broken, Churches in this world are broken, um, but God has called His people to be a people who trust Him individually and corporately, and we are committed to working through difficult things with one another, sharing in difficulties and also sharing in joy. Um, and we see so we hope to be that place. We're working at it. We're not perfect at it, uh, but we don't claim to be perfect. Uh, I don't claim to be perfect. We are not a perfect church but we serve a perfect risen savior um, who has perfectly loved us and his perfect love is moving us and making us into pictures of who he is. Um, And so glad you're here together. We spend our time praising the Lord. We spend our time looking at his word because we believe his word is powerful. Uh, His word shapes us. His word changes us. His word molds us and shapes us. And so we want to look at it. We want to see what it says we want to see what it's saying to us and how that works in our life. So if you were with us last week, uh, we started a new series in the book of Haggai and we are going to be continuing in the book of Haggai. So if you don't know where Haggai is, uh, go to Matthew, beginning in the New Testament, <clears throat> turn back three books. So you got Malachi, Zechariah, then Haggai. Easiest way to get there. For me, I don't know, someone may, may have a different solution. Um, and Haggai is this interesting little book because it's the first message, the uh, first prophet to God's people after they come back from exile. Uh, so just to give you just a quick Reminder, right? Israel, God chose Israel. He chose uh, a a nation for himself through Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. He chose a man out of, out of a place actually up in Babylon and he moved them, moved him to Israel. And he made a promise to this man who had no children uh, that I will give you a child and nations will be born. uh, And I will make you a blessing to all the nations. This seed was a promise that we finally, in the future, understand of Jesus, that this one who was going to come and bless the nations. But God wanted to bless the nations through his people that he chose, and those people he rescued. He worked mir- like miracles through them. I mean, mu- separated a red Sea the, the, so they could walk, like a couple million people walking through on dry ground, brought them through the wilderness. <clears throat> They were there for 40 years, and their clothes didn't wear out. I mean, I buy something from Kohl's, and it, it wears out in a year, <laughs> you know? But 40 years, and their clothes didn't wear out. And the whole time, he's providing this stuff that they called, what is it? It's literally the, the translation of manna. Every single day, he provided it for them. And he kept his people and he brought them into this land and he allowed them to inhabit this land. Just miraculous things were happening. But his people left him. They went and served after other gods. They started bowing down to the idols who are not gods. They're just stone and wood and they have nothing there for them. And so God let his people be disciplined and he sent his people into exile and a nation who, the nation that God had established to be to, to, to have a throne that would last forever, he allowed that place, his temple that they built, be completely decimated and destroyed. And he sent those people to exile Babylon. And then after a little while, Babylon gets taken over by Persia, and then God, through, uh, through Cyrus, um, via prophecy 50 years earlier by Jeremiah, moved the heart of this king of a pagan nation to send his people back to rebuild his temple. And we're seeing these people, these exiles, these, the remnant of, of God's people, uh, the ones who, who deeply longed to see him move, who were in exile, and they not all of Israel came back, not all of Judah came back to Jerusalem. I mean, think about that. The Persian king is saying, "Hey, anyone who wants to go and go rebuild the temple of God, you're free to go. We'll help you all along your way." And some of those people said, "You know what? I'm going to stay here." But these ones said, "You know what? I'm I don't know what's ahead of me. I know there's probably people occupying that all, already. I know there's difficulty out there, but we're going to go and we're going to we're going to take the rough, terrible, difficult journey, and we're going to make it because God is moving." God is doing something, and those people came, and those people settled, um, 536 BC, and those people started working, and they laid the foundation of the temple again, cleared it out, built an altar, sacrificed, and God did, God was doing amazing things. They're celebrating, it's, it's wonderful, and then there's some opposition that came up. And the neighboring people who were there um, started coming after them, stopping them. And so they stopped the work. And for 16 years, they were sitting there just going, you know what? Opposition's there. Why don't we set up our houses first? Why don't we make ourselves stable so we have a defensible position? And then we'll start doing the work that God called us to do. And it's in that moment, God sent his prophet Haggai who is one of the most effective prophets in the Old Testament. He carries the word of the Lord. He speaks the word of the Lord. The word, the word of the Lord meets its desired end, and the people revive and go back to work. <clears throat> and so last week, we looked at the first part of this first chapter, and we saw what was happening in these people, how God actually was compassionate towards his people, That he was disciplining his people, yes, but he has compassion towards his people. Right? These were the right people at the right time, there for the right reasons, and had gotten off of the mission. Instead of focusing on what they were there to go do, which not only God called them to do, but even through the voice of Cyrus called them to go do. Go rebuild the temple to your God. And they had left the mission and God was telling the people, your your focus is off, and you're not experiencing my blessing because your focus is off. You're going, you're trying to plant, you're trying to build your houses, you're trying to fill your banks, and what do you have to show for it? 16 years, and it's like you're just filling all your money into a bag full of holes. It's just draining away. You plant in the ground and it's not producing. Why? Because you live in paneled houses and my house that as I called and set you out to build lies in ruins. Consider your ways. Go into the hills. Gather lumber. Come back. Get to work. And we're going to pick up right there. Right where God was calling his people to change their perspective. To shift their eyes off of what they wanted to do for themselves and back onto the mission that God had for them. One that was still difficult, still had opposition. The the nations around them were still there. Uh, I mean, even in in Nehemiah, it it says that they they could not walk around because it was not safe for them to walk around. But God was calling them back. And so we're going to be in Haggai chapter 1, verse 12 through 15. I'm going to read it real quick and then we'll get into our message for today. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatiel, and Joshua, son of Jezedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. and the, the words of Haggai, the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message, I am with you. Declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jezreel, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. This is an amazing event that we just saw and witnessed. Right? This is kind of like every preacher's dream. You go up and you, you work hard, you preach a message, you're calling God's people to something, and all of a sudden, the entire congregation's like, yep, we're doing it, we're going, we're going after it. Right? We look at the end, he, he dates exactly when they started the work. In the 24th day of the month, in the 6th month, in the second year of Darius the king, which we know again when that actually was. September 21st, 520 B.C. Why do we know that? Because we know exactly what the first part of chapter 1 says. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the prophecy came. That was August 29th. 21 days later, 23 days later, 23 days later, God's people are at work. Which you read that and you can think, man, what took them so long to get to work? Or you can read that and think, man, there's a lot of planning that has to happen with 50,000 people getting to work on a building. Not only that, God told his people to go out to the forest and gather wood in that previous section. When you read this, you you should read the people immediately got to work. They heard the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. They got to work. See, God's word accomplishes what God wants when it's given to God's people. God's word accomplishes what God wants when it's given to God's people. God spoke a call to his people to call them back to their mission. And that word immediately had an effect. When I'm going to read this and I'm thinking of times when my parents tell me to go, told me to go clean my room. And I read this and I think of times when I tell my kids to go clean their room. And what usually happened well, you go up there and move a couple things, get distracted. That's a cool toy. Wonder what I wonder if I do this with this thing. What would happen? The next thing you know, nothing's happening. And then you go up, it's time to clean your room. But you know as a parent, you, walk, you don't walk away from that. You got to observe because it's easy to forget what you're, what you're on mission for. But here, it's like kind of the same thing's happening. God's coming to his kids. He's seeing his people. They're experiencing the the consequences of their lack of relationship and and lack of focus. A devaluing of, of, of God as primary in their life. And they recognize it. They see it. They repent. And they change their mind. And they move forward. They change their actions. Then Zerubbabel, son of Sheatil, Joshua, son of Jezek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, what did they do? They obeyed the word of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet. They obeyed. Really, you could also say they believed. There's a concept in the Bible of Faith belief, hearing the word of the God that is always connected to action. We don't work to earn our salvation, right? This is said all the time, right? Because it has to be said all the time because we're so easily deluded to think that we can somehow bring something to God that would make him uh, look at us as better than someone else. That we can somehow earn our favor back to God. That's that's not the case, right? The gospel is that we can't do that, but Jesus does the work for us. Jesus has bridged the gap that we can't bridge. Jesus has paid for the sin that we can never pay for. And when we believe him, when we trust him, that immediately changes the way we orient our life, and that belief has action, right? Right? If I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, there should be something measuring up in my life because of that. The normal things that I'm involved in that I know are against God's commands and words and desires and preferences that are against what's actually healthy for me shift no more. I mean, some some of you didn't know this. I used to smoke cigarettes. I know, it's a, it's a, it's a bad thing. I, I was not always saved. Did you know that? <laughs> and I was struggling in my life, walking with the Lord. But there's a point in my life where I was confronted with the reality of what I was doing in life. Yeah, I believe God, but I can still party every once in a while, right? It's fine. God forgives me. But then someone comes up and asks a question. Well, do you believe who Jesus is? Yeah, I believe he is who he says he is. He's the Son of God. He saved, saved me, came, lived a life I couldn't live, died a death I deserve, rose again so I could have his life. Well, how's that matching up with your life? It's not. I'm living life for myself, I'm living life for my own pleasure. The reason I'm here as a pastor right now is because God called me to be a pastor and I ran from that call. God pursued me in that call and he came again. And at that point I said, you know what? I'm done. It's partying, done. Cigarettes, it's not nothing absolutely immoral about smoking cigarettes. I'm not saying that, but for me it was. It was beholden to it. Throw it down. I'm done. And three horrible days of withdrawal. And now, I don't know, 14 years later, the Lord has given me victory over that. The Lord has placed me in a new place because he is primary in my life. And for me, May 5th, 2009 was a point where God called me to to revive me out of the slumber that I was living in and set me back on work and what God was calling him to do. And for the people of God here in Haggai, August 29th, 520 BC was the day that he called them to go after his work and they obeyed him. They trusted him. They heard his word, believed it to be true, and acted upon it. See, they went back on mission. And not only did they act upon it, right? What does it say? And the people feared the Lord. What's the beginning of knowledge? Fear. fear of the Lord. What's the beginning of wisdom? Fear. fear of the Lord. What is set out through all of Scripture, the way of the path of righteousness and the path of, what's the, what's the way to get to the path of righteousness? I'm leading you, right? Fear of the Lord. It's setting God in His rightful place in our lives. Now fear, This is, not This is not necessarily a sermon on fear, but I just want to give you a, a quick synopsis. Biblically in the fear, this is both awe, reverent, reverential awe of God, and mixed in with some terror. That's, that's what it is. You look read through. Every time there's fear of the Lord, there is some, there is some reverential awe. God is so mighty and majestic. I am, I am, I'm aligning myself underneath who he is. And there is a level of terror. Every single time an angelic being or God himself comes up on stage and, and meets with someone, what happens? Woe is me. John falls down. John, he's, he's the most beloved disciple. Revelation. He falls down as a dead man when Jesus shows up. Why do I say that? Because God is an immense being. He's an all-consuming fire. He is the ruler of of the world. He He speaks and things come into being. He's immense. His being is terrifying. That's why his love is so great. Because that being loves us. And I'm safe in that being because he loves us. And when I place him and I have an awe and a reverence and an understanding of who God is, it shapes the way that I live my life. The people hear his word. The people obey his word. They respond to it. The people shift their perspective. Right, and a lot of this stuff is interplaying with what was written here. Right? They're not fearing the Lord. They're not obeying the Lord. They're doing what they wanted to do. They're suffering consequences from it. They hear the judgment of God on them, which was what happened to God's remnant people. The judgment of God on God's remnant people. The ones who, who left all they knew and came back to a place that was desolate. And he was disciplining them. And they brought themselves back into alignment with where life actually is, where God is primary for them. People feared the Lord. That's just amazing what the Lord could do through his word. Right, Haggai, there's no way you can read this book without understanding that this is ex- exactly God's words being said to God's people. Haggai's not manipulating them. He's not trying to woo them over. He's simply declaring what God has said and then God's word moved in his people. Why? Because they're his People. And these people showed themselves, revealed themselves as who they are when they responded the way in which they did to God's word. They revealed themselves as the remnant because they heard and they obeyed the word of the Lord. God's people hear his word. They obey his word. They follow through with what he's asked them to do because they're his people. They're still the remnant. They're still the ones called out. They're still God's chosen beloved people. And God in his compassion and mercy comes and speaks to them. Right? All throughout product, uh, prophetic literature, the word remnant always means the people who are God's. God's own people, the ones who believe and trust him, right? This is, this is contrasted with descendants of Abraham who did not, right? There's a small portion of those who trust the Lord, and there's a lot of people who don't. And what's amazing about Haggai is that unlike all of the prophets before him, the people, all of the people, are listening and responding. Right? Jeremiah, he was called to go proclaim and preach to a people who would not listen. Isaiah speech, preached to a bunch of people who would not listen. Ezekiel preached to a bunch of people some confusing things who would not listen. And Haggai goes to the remnant of God's people and speaks and they hear and they respond and they take action. Now, I want you to notice what happens, right? After God's word came to God's people and God's people revealed who they were by following through with what God asked, what does God do? Then Haggai, then, right, after people obeyed the Lord, feared the Lord, then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I'm with you, declares the Lord. What did God just do there? His people for 16 years, 16 years, neglecting what he had sent them to go do. 16 years. I'm with you. (laughs) Any of you ever, ever experienced making a mistake? Any of you ever experienced after making that mistake, the one you made that mistake against? holds that against you? I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm the only one who's ever experienced that. And the trust is broken uh, and the relationship's messed up and yeah, I forgive you, but you're gonna, you're gonna pay for it. Is that what God did here? What does he do? He encourages his people as soon as they realign their mind and their priorities with who he is, our compassionate, loving God encourages his people. One of the most amazing statements you can read in scripture. I am with you. God of the universe sovereign creator, one who speaks and things come into being, all the things I just recently said about him that makes him terrifying and awesome, that one is with him. I am with you. All that I need, the one who provided manna in the wilderness for his people, the one who provided water out of a rock, I am with you. The one who protected his people, The one who brought them over the Jordan and knocked down Jericho's walls. The one who allowed his people to get defeated at Ai, but then came back and defeated Ai. The one who stopped time so that his people could win a battle. I am with you. The one who moved the heart of a king in a distant land. I am with you. What a wonderful statement. What an encouragement. Something that should remove the anxiety and the fear we have with which the task that God has laid out before us. Something that Paul says, if God is for us, what? Who can be against us? It's the same thing that Jesus says to his church. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, right, all that I commanded you. For behold, I'm with you. God encourages his people. He doesn't stand and bring back all these things that they were doing and throw all the shame back on them. How could you forget about me? How could you, I did all this stuff for you? I, I paved the way. What are you doing? No. You got off track, guys. I tried to get your attention through the weather and the ground. I tried to get your attention through your pocketbook. Now I'm just going to come speak to you. All I want is for my kids to follow. Great job, guys. Now, I know it's a difficult task. I know it's, I know it's hard. I'm with you. I'm going to help you clean your room. I'm with you. God encourages his people. Not only does he encourage them with word, but he encourages them with action. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jezedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of God's people. And he came and they worked on the house of the Lord of God, their host, the um, Lord of hosts, their God. That word stirred up, some of your translations may have something else, revived, which is Literally the word, y'ar, to revive, to awaken, to excite. ESV uses the word stirred up to kind of give this sense of like passion igniting again. He's giving them a new, fresh passion for the work that he has for them. And he's doing that. I'm with you. I'm empowering you. I'm changing your perspective. And these people who, for 16 years, have just been going through the motions, slowly moving through what's going on, missing all of the passion that they used to have. The excitement of leaving Persia to come back to Jerusalem. We're going back home, guys. God's paved a way. We're going to build the temple, guys. It's awesome. Uh, well, some opposition. I don't know if we can do this anymore. I don't really have a feeling anymore about it. And God renews that in their heart. God encourages his people along the way. He revives their heart. Now look at the progression here because I think there's a spiritual reality that's happening in this passage that connects to with us as a people. We oftentimes want to feel like doing something before we do it. Maybe I'm alone. Any, any of you? Yeah, I, I think if you're honest, yeah, I'd rather feel like I want to do something before, like, I would like to feel like I want to paint the trim in my house. For whatever reason, I never feel that way. (laughs) I want to feel like cleaning the bathroom. No, I don't ever feel that way. I just have to do it. But there's certain things that I don't feel like doing that I then end up liking doing once I'm doing them. And it takes a step of obedience before the feeling and passion comes. And oftentimes in our Christian life, when God is asking us to do something that we do not feel like, when we step forward and do it instead, God brings the revival in our heart. But revival, this is a word that's it's a buzzword right now in the church all because of Kentucky. What are they doing down there in Kentucky? The Lord's reviving their heart. Who knows it's a move of God across the nation or across the world. Who knows if God is awakening his people for his kingdom, for his purposes, reviving them again. But that revival is not going to passively start. God wants his people to actively work with him. Now, do not get me wrong. I'm not saying we need to build another bigger building or do something like that. God's revival for his people is relational to other people. God's revival is along the lines of the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. And sometimes you have to have a conversation, a difficult conversation with someone that you don't want to have that conversation with. Because you're not even sure how you're going to react because it's not going to be holy. And sometimes the Lord just asks you to have that conversation and you can run from it because it's uncomfortable. It's difficult. We don't want to do it. Or you can trust the Lord in the process. My wife and I had a a, a situation this this week like that. Not sure how this is going to work out. But then God comes in and steps in and revives his people. Want to see a move of God? Get into his word. Read it. Obey it. And see him stir your heart up. See him renew again, as David would say, the joy of your salvation. See him work again something new in our midst. Man, this is a broken world. And we can we can see it all over the place. And we sit here complain, oh my goodness, blah, 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 blah. Or we can get to work. We go to the hills, gather lumber. We go share the message, not obnoxiously. Because a shared message is not going to have a whole lot of effect if that message is not planted root in me. If I'm not walking with the Spirit... We need to look at what God says and follow after what God says. Not someone else telling you what God says, right? There's a lot of people who misuse this terminology. God said, do this. God said, do this. Which really is just, they wanted to do something or want you to do something for them. But here in this book, God does say things to us. I mean, you can go back, read the Sermon on the Mount again. Man, a good place to camp again. Go read Ephesians. What does God say about his church? Go read Colossians. What does God say about who he is? And follow through with it. So, this is all true. God's word given to God's people has its desired effect. And that God oftentimes will revive us when we act in steps of obedience. When we, against hope, believe in hope and step out in faith. What does this mean for us? Well, well, I don't know about for you. The question is, how am I responding to God's word? How am I responding to what God is saying? It's, it's not possible or helpful for me to list out all the different scenarios and what God may be calling you to do. The reality is, is you know exactly what God is calling you to do. You know the sin that is struggling in your life that He's calling you to expose, to confess. You know the places where God is calling you to step out in faith because you're thinking of Him right now and you're, well, I hope that preacher doesn't say that thing. You know the areas of boldness that God is calling you to be bold in. And I can't tell you. It's not even my job. It's the Holy Spirit's job. I can present the question, I can present the call. You have to decide who you serve today. Like, we have. Am I choosing to be on mission whether or not I feel like it? Am I choosing to follow the Lord in the difficulty, whether or not I feel like it? Am I choosing to look at advancing the kingdom of a God? Or am I taking a theological position as a way of hiding escape? Well, the Lord will return before I have to deal with that, that stuff. Maybe the Lord will return before I have to deal with that family member. Maybe the Lord will return before I have to do whatever whatever it is. Right? God calls his people to be active and found working when he returns. To be in the fields about his business. And man, we have so much opportunity today. And we have so many witnesses behind us who've walked through the difficulties of life to show us the path of trusting the Lord does not always absolve us from suffering. But actually God uses suffering in our lives to produce what he could, we could not produce in ourselves otherwise. Suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you've various trials of all kinds. Because God's working in you. So what is that today? I don't know. But I know the best option is to trust him, take a step forward, and walk in faith. And who knows? Maybe the Lord will revive your heart. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your son. I thank you for what you are doing here in this church through your people that you have called to yourself for this day. Lord, we need you desperately. We trust you, Lord. We wait on your spirit to work and move. Lord, have your way with us. In your name, amen.